Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Probably all of our listeners here are well into their Pesach preparation, whether it's cleaning and cooking or packing and traveling, but we appreciate you tuning in today for our program. Like always, we love to bring fascinating Orthodox Jews or people with Orthodox Jewish angles to our show to show sort of inside stories, highlight something interesting that they're doing. I recently heard about a guy that's part of a PBS program that will be airing tonight actually in New York on a primetime slot. Um, His name is Yankee Lemmer. He is the chazan at Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York City, uh, also a special ed therapist when he's not singing um, in a Hasidic school in Brooklyn. Um, And tonight he is part of a pretty interesting television program on PBS um, it's called The Three Cantors, which I think maybe kind of reminds me of The Three Tenors. Um, and it is a secular, a modern Orthodox, and a Hasidish cantor, all three of them, um, who are singing in the um, revered 17th century Portuguese synagogue in Amsterdam. Um, and so I thought it might be nice to bring Yankee on and hear a little bit about how this program came about. Thank- Yankee, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Allison. I'm a big follower of yours, uh, you know, in the city. It's a beautiful thing you're running, and I also find it's my own beautiful thing. Uh, yeah, so you want to hear about the um, Aspects? It was a great trip, um, and it was funded by PBS. There's this producer who happens to be the same producer of the Irish Tennis. Hmm. Um and he's not Jewish, he's a wonderful guy, but he just, for some reason, he likes I don't know why. Don't ask me. Um, and he got this idea of bringing three Chazanis together. He didn't even understand, I think, that he's getting like three major um, denominations of Jews in there, you know? But yeah, my colleague's Avi Schwartz, he's obviously a reform. Um, oh, reform cantor. Sorry, I said secular. Was it reform? Okay, reform, modern Orthodox. And so, and where, well, where did he find. You can call it, you know. <laughs> Um, and then Nathaniel Hirstick is the uh, modern Orthodox, one of the Zafi guy. And I'm, I don't know, it's very hard to say. I'm a Hasidic guy, but I, I'm having a modern Orthodox synagogue, Lincoln Square synagogue in the city. So when when did he, um, have, have the three of you ever um, sung together? Well, I sung with each of the others, and so and they sung with all of, you know, with, but never together, all three, no. And so when were you contacted, and when was this filmed? Okay, this was uh, this in the works for a long, long time. You know, everybody will see it tonight. You'll see that it's, it's like, highly, highly professional program. So it took probably a year and a half of prep. It was filmed in December, this past December, December 5th, with two shows, night after night. Um, one was... Both were, you know, full attended, fully attended. One was uh, for the cameras um, to to focus on us, and that's what you're going to be seeing tonight. The others were for the cameras to focus on audience reaction, and it's all timed. It's very cool media. It's like it's timed, and they know like what reaction was at what uh, point in the song. So you kind of get that real feel like you're actually in the audience when you're watching it. Hmm. Um, I was in Amsterdam a couple of years ago, not a huge Jewish 
population there. So were these all Jews that were in the program, or it was Jews and non-Jews? So it was Jews and non-Jews, culture, aficionados. Um, yeah, you know, they also, it's, when you say they're not, not a huge Jewish population, maybe not visibly Jewish, but there are people there that came over to me telling me that they're, you know, grandparents were Jewish, but they don't know if they're Jewish. It's kind of like this, like a lot, there's a lot of that in Europe. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's sad, but there's also a, a very heartening part of that as well, that they're coming out to a concert like this and connecting. So how did they decide on this country, the city, the shul out of, I mean, literally the entire world? This is, the, well, for, 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 first of all, the producer lives in Amsterdam, so that made it a lot easier. Okay. He, he's an American American guy who moved to Amsterdam. The other thing is, I don't know of any other shul that is that has this kind of history that is so magnificent. You have to understand, there is no heating in there. It's fully wow. wood and stone. No lighting, so it's lit up with a thousand candles. And, wow. you know, it's just amazing. It's just an amazing experience. You'll see tonight, you can see the... Uh, the, the um, fog coming out of our mouth. That's how cold it was. Wow. Because <laughs> you filmed it in December. So would you, is this a yep. shul that's being used? It's part of the Amsterdam Cultural Jewish Quarter, but it is still being used. As during mm-hmm. the week, the main shul is being used mostly as a museum, but uh, on Yontif they use the shul. Um, this is like, it's, it's, if you're ever in Amsterdam, even on a stopover for like uh, you know, a couple of hours, and you can make it out there, it's one of the treasures of Europe. It's like they have a library there, which is probably the oldest library in, in Europe. And mm. If you make an appointment, they showed us, like, uh, censored rambams. They showed us the first um, print of the Amsterdam shot. Really, really cool place. Um, and did they, this was timed specifically, it seems like, with Pesach. Is there a reason? I'm saying, was there any sort of like Passover theme to the concert, or this is just sort of a time when lots of Jews are doing Jewish things, so they thought it was good to release it now? Um, I don't, I'm not really sure about that, but there is one Pesach medley in there mm-hmm. that my friend Nathaniel Hurst sings. Um, it's been airing all throughout the country for a few weeks now, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm going to send out, my shul is going to send out an email, take a break, phone to Pesach Prep, and, you know, enjoy summer. I hope people will. And what, in terms of, I mean, I guess you spend a lot of time, well, it seems like you sort of live in different circles between the Hasidic school you work in, the Orthodox school that you, um, you know, sing in, uh, you know, or Chazan in, um, I'm not sure, you know, how often you're interacting with, you know, non-observant or non-Jews. Were there any moments of this experience, you know, interacting with PBS or anything related to um, the concert that were newsworthy in terms of defying stereotypes or, um, you know, I think a lot of people, even unfortunately in the Orthodox world, are not Hasidic, um, have really negative views of the Hasidic community. So did you have any opportunities to kind of show people, hey, you know, some of us are pretty normal? <laughs> well, yeah, this is um, this is something I, I love most about my my work. I, you know, I I think we live in very, very, very 
fortunate. We're very fortunate to live in times where most normal, educated people will not stereotype in a negative way. Like the people at PBS were extremely respect, respectful. Any women that were on the set, you know, wouldn't would they would barely not even give me their hand, like if they if they knew enough. They were very respectful to everything. I like the, the management at PBS. They were saying that you know there's a you got to wear a tuxedo for the concert. And I'm like, you know, it's not really my devotion. I never wore it. You know, I'm going to wear my long coat, my, my you know, reco or frock, whatever you call it. So they're like, is that like your marketing thing? Is like a, a look or is that? So I'm like, look, it's just my devotion. This is what I wear. I've never worn it. You know, and I don't think to change to change it, you know. And they were very respectful for, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're talking about stereotypes, I think it's, much of it is in our face, really. I mean, look, I think, did you follow this um, this Amber Tamblin thing on Twitter about uh, she claimed that Hasidic men are, um, you know, trying to harm female uh, cyclists in South Williamsburg? So- oh, my God, that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, I don't know. If, well, I guess there are always these people with prejudices like that. Look, I'm a cyclist who I did bike for high, and it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be on the road with, you know, it's tough to share the road, so to speak. Yeah. And being that she is in a Hasidic community, you know, she's living in Fort Greene or Williamsburg or wherever she is, you know, obviously the drivers that are going to bother her are going to be Hasidic because they're, you know. Right. So it's very easy to blame. And also, if, if she's been living in North Carolina with one car on the street throughout the day, you know, of course, she would not have any prejudice against the motorists. But here, you know, you're living in a very, very dense area with so many cars, and most of them are Hasidim. So, yeah, you know what I mean? But it's, it's not that it, she that said that, you, not that she said there's a lot of rude drivers in the Hasidic community. She said this is not the first time, um, I don't know if she used the words target, but I'm saying she, she, you know, made it seem like that they've, oh, that they tried to harm me. Um, as a woman, and any other woman driving, uh, biking through um, South Williamsburg can attest to this. You know, really what I found to be the most troubling was that it's not the first time they attempted to harm me as a woman, which I think, and look, um, I know you said that most, uh, you know, intelligent, educated people um, are raised without those stereotypes. I was not. I was raised in a proudly Jewish but bigoted um, Orthodox family, so... Um, I was raised um, really to have horrible opinions of the Orthodox and particularly Hasidic community. And I hear, I hear, you know, people talking even in the modern Orthodox community. Um, and unfortunately, um, I think that too many people associate the most dysfunctional and extreme um, sort of parts of the, the Hasidic world with the Hasidic world at whole. So um, I guess now that may be a good segue to talk a little bit about you know, the trajectory of your life. Your, if you could tell us, you know, what, what type of Hasid, you know, Hasidus you grew up in and, um, you know, kind of your schooling and how you got to this point in your career. Because I think it's so important that we highlight um, there's so many stories of, you know, normal and healthy and thriving. Um, so if you could let us know, you know, kind of where you started out and, you know, kind of what the trajectory of your uh, career was. So I was born and raised in Brooklyn, Borough Park. I went to Bells. I was on the Bells of Hasid. Followed the usual Hasidic uh, schedule, you know, nursery, kindergarten, Kita Aleph, Beit, and at Gimel at around age seven. That's when we started secular studies for about 45 minutes 
to an hour a day. Um, that goes on till age 12. At age 12, 13, that, that's, those secular studies are gone. You basically study Torah all day. Um, then you go away for another three years, like the high school, for another uh, three years of learning. Uh, I was very fortunate. My, both my parents are very well read. My mother is uh, six. Uh, I am almost the sixth generation American from my mother's mother's side. Hmm. So I had a, a, a one up. I had a one up on, on all my friends. English was very. You know, my mother spoke English in the house, so uh, you know I was fortunate that it was easier for me to learn by osmosis from everything around me. Um, I always loved to read, so it, it made things a lot easier. Mm-hmm. After yeshiva, or I should say, in yeshiva, this is a, this is a tremendous turning point in in my you know formative years and my development in Israel. Bells has this program that every every student, you know, from age seventeen to twenty, about every student gets a sort of like a mentor that learns mm-hmm. in Kolil to study with him for an hour a day. Mm-hmm. The parents uh, contribute a little bit financially, and they, there's this organization that contributes as well. They kind of split the difference. This guy I was learning with, his name is Elimelech Landman. He invites me for Shabbos, for a Shabbos meal, and I'm like, sure, I'll come. He starts singing, and I sing along with him, and he's like, oh, you know I'm I'm taking voice lessons. And I'm like, wow, you <laughs> sing well. And then I start singing with him, and I'm harmonizing, and he's like, Okay, you're coming with me on Sunday. Hmm. And I started voice lessons and started singing in yeshiva and a friend's wedding, and, you know, it just took off from there. Um, so, then, okay. Can I just ask you, is like chazanas, meaning growing up non-Orthodox, like we had um, we had the chazan, you know, in our service, um, who was separate from the rabbi. The rabbi sort of had his part, the chazan had his part, and then for the high holidays, we had like a little choir thing going on. Um, but is, is like chazanis, like, you know, is that popular in the Hasidic world, or is that sort of a less typical, um, not just someone davening for the Amod, but like sort of the, you know, really singing it out type of thing, is that something common, or is that like a little bit already different than from where you came from? Okay, so that's a very good question, because, you know, in the modern, more modern world, uh, you know, people are not necessarily listening only to Jewish music. They're listening to Jewish music and to, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg and then and, and whatever else. Right. They can be listening to anything. Right. So so they're not going to be looking for something like Hazanis that's so um, obscure. You know what I mean? Yep. But Hasidim, Hasidim listen to Hazanis a lot because there's a ton of neshama. It's like really, really... Raw emotion put into the davening, mm-hmm. and this is kind of paradoxical and it's ironic that the Hasidim are the ones that know Chazanim, and the only ones hiring Chazanim are the modern Orthodox communities. Mm-hmm. Because by Hasidim, anybody anybody just goes up there to the Yamad. You know, you just need to be a good Belsvila, and that's it. But right. they really built it out. Only the modern Orthodox uh, are hiring, so it's kind of an interesting twist there. But meaning like, but only kind of like in these bigger shul situations, like if you have, you know, sort of the smaller shtibel, you know, most people do not have chazanam working there. These are just more for these like established, like, you know, thousand family type of shuls, no? Right, right, yep. 
Although so I, I, it would be beautiful to see it come back, even to Shibuch, you know, that not just any host smoke can go and sing a Talmud tune and that, and he knows no talk. Right. You know, it should be held to a higher aesthetic, I think. So you started doing, so you started doing weddings and, um, and then how did, how did your career go from, you know, harmonizing and weddings to getting officially, did you have to go to any sort of, I mean, was there any sort of schooling or you know how to daven, you know how to sing and so you can start to be a chazan officially? Well, the market is that small that if, you know, the talent is kind of recognized, if you know what you're doing, you still get picked up. You mm-hmm. know, YouTube was my was my best marketing agent. Um, That's hilarious. No, I'm saying, I, like, literally, like, what's <laughs> his name? Um, who, who's the um, the kid with the, the swoopy hair? Um, <laughs> not Justin Timberlake. Um, Bieber. Oh, so Bieber. Bieber got, yeah, Bieber got yeah. discovered on YouTube, and Yankee Lumber did, too. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, no, I did have to run through the hoops. You know, I did go to Bell School of Jewish Music, which is a division of YU. Um, uh-huh. I got a scholarship there. I also okay. studied with Fentian Miller. I was in his choir, and I was studied with Noah Shaw. So I did. I did go through the, uh, you know, the, the the hoops in order to get there. But yeah, Baruch Hashem, that worked out. So and so while you were going to, so what what school is this in YU? I didn't even know that YU had a cantorial school. You said Belsky. No, it's actually Bells, B-E-L-Z, the same, oh. the same place I, I, the same place you, the same name, Connie. Wait, so so you went to YU to go to Bell's school, a cantorial school, and what? That's so interesting. So is is there any Bell's connection of the Bell's cantorial school in YU, or? I heard a very, very interesting story, but I question the validity of it. I don't know. Some story about some... The, the people who who donated that school, their name is Philip and Sarah Bell. Suddenly, I heard that there's one, you know, Philip's father, the family was traveling through Bell's, and Philip fell off the wagon and he got paralyzed. And hmm. he went to Bell's, to the Bell's Red, and the Bell's Red put his helmet on him, and he, he got up and started walking again. This is a story that I heard. I don't know. You know, it, it needs to be uh, verified. Verified. So you might be the first Bells or Chassid to attend the Bells School, the Bells Cantorial School at YU. Probably. Probably. And where did your, um, did you also have a degree in special ed that you were doing at the same time, or? Yeah. So my my wife is also a special ed therapist, and she had it before me, and then I, you know, but while she was going to school, she was already pregnant, and, you know, so it was, you know, I was kind of involved with her thing. Like, I was typing up things that she had written out, and I learned how to uh, to, to do citations through, you know, APA format or this format. And I'm like, you know, maybe I should do this, you know? And I just, I signed up. And what was very nice was also that I was able to get some yeshiva credit in Turo. I went to Turo, which is, uh, you know, it was a breeze. It's two blocks away from my house. Uh, I didn't have... Uh, I must say this, I really should stress that I didn't have the language barrier many Hasidim have. Um, but on the other hand, the, the school I work in, there are some other therapists and occupational therapists that, you know, didn't have this advantage and they made it. So it's doable. That's the point I'm trying to make. It's doable. I, for me, it's a lot easier and I appreciate that, but it's doable almost for, for anybody. So what would you say, you know, um, 
what what helps make it doable? Obviously, you mentioned that you had the you know the leg up with the you know more comfort in English and reading um, than you know some of your peers. But are there any I don't know tips or advice or I guess maybe universal things that you see the people that are able to achieve? What do they have in common? The people that get ahead. Um, because in some ways it is a setback in terms of, you know, being able to succeed in the, you know, one's career if it requires secular knowledge. So what, you know, what could someone do to try to make up for that? Um, mainly to want it. Mm-hmm. If you want it, you'll learn it. There's so much information out there today, and it's, it's so easy to get in a kosher way. Like Turo College is amazing. They have really good professors. They have, you know, hours that are terrific for, for uh, you know, for for any color of younger man even. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if you want it and you decide to go for it, go for it as soon as you can because it take, it, it'll take, you know, a Hasidic guy a little bit longer or, or, or woman a little bit longer than it will take, uh, you know, the average person. On the other hand, the, the women, actually, Hasidic women do, don't have that issue, like, their English is, you know, maybe it won't be, you know, there's still going to be the Hungarian accent because, you know, it's so, you know, so homogenous the community that even three generations after the Holocaust, they're still, you know, still sound like they just got off the boat. But they, they know English and they go through, you know, most Hasidic schools will, girls' schools, go, uh, you know, take regents and all that. So, so you seem so to live in... To go to college. You seem to live in sort of a bunch of different worlds simultaneously. You're probably sort of the, you know, the most Hasidic person in the modern Orthodox school you work in, and maybe you're one of the more modern people in the Hasidic school you work in. Um, what are the biggest challenges of always being maybe a bit of an outsider in the different places? And then what are some of the biggest advantages of being different than sort of the typical? Ooh. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I like to view the advantages more than the challenges. For example, I was sitting in, I wasn't a Satmah Cheder, like the most uh, insular Cheder you can, you can Cheder the school for anyone that doesn't. Uh, yeah. So I, it's very insular place. They're vehemently uh, anti-Zionist, which is something that is hard for me to, to accept. But anyway, I'm sitting there in the therapy room between cases I'm taking a call from my synagogue. They're planning the Yom Hatzmaut celebration. Mm. And, you know, yeah, I have a hard, you know, speak under my breath here and there that I, you know, but I, I, I enjoy the irony sometimes. I enjoy it. I, I must say, I don't take it as a, a disadvantage. Yeah, there are some disadvantages. I have to jump through hoops here and there, you know. But I, I, I embrace it. I embrace it. I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I view it as a, a, a blessing that I can be in, you know, so many places for the most and, part. And for people that, you know, who unfortunately I think that they are still out there, maybe in larger number than than you've perceived, and I'm happy that you haven't experienced so much anti-Hasidic, uh, you know, um, stereotyping or reactions, what would you want people that, you know, still are judging the entire community by the worst of the community, by the, you know, the, the biggest problems that are out there, what would you want them to understand about, you know, all the people out there that are like you, that are living these moderate and, you know, contributing and healthy lives? 
Uh, what I would say to them, I don't know, I would say to them, open your eyes. Uh, and, and you know something? This is for you, Allison. You, you're, you're in media. You like media. I'm sure you, you, you know the, uh, what was that called? Um, what's that, that documentary or movie that, that uh, Tversky is on it and all that? What's that called? Oh. Not all. Um, oh, you're, what you're saying was on Netflix recently? Yeah. One of Us? One of Us, exactly. So here's a very interesting story. Um, there's some, somebody gave this woman my email address. Her name is Rachel Grady. Uh, to reach out to me, that you know, because I live in two worlds, maybe I can help her with some project. She pitched this project to me. Basically, she wants help getting into the, uh, getting a glimpse into the Hasidic community. Um, and she gave me this whole story that they released uh, um, a documentary called Jesus Camp that was nominated for an Oscar, and I'm like, wow. What's this Jesus Camp? It's basically, uh, you know, a documentary that shows you a camp that I think is Mormon or whatever in the Bible Belt, where they send children to be completely brainwashed. However, they lead very happy lives after that. So you kind of walk away from the film feeling conflicted. You, you think, you know, it's absurd, but look, it works. These people are happy. So she wanted to do the same thing with the Hasidic community, and I thought to myself, very good, you know, I, you know, I don't mind helping you. So first, that I made her some connections with Hatala and Shalmi, uh, all these various organizations that I was able to get her in, fine. After a while, this film comes out, and not just, it, it, you know, it sheds a completely biased light, uh, this one of us, there was also this story about the... Um, the anti-Semitism of this, this co-producer, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So, what I'm saying is, you will, you're right, there are people that just exploit and enjoy stereotyping and, and bringing out only the negative, and it's it's terribly unfortunate, and it, it hurts me to no end, specifically because I live in both worlds, and I, I see the beauty. Yes, there are challenges, there are, there are plenty of challenges, and I'm not shying away from them, and they are brought to light. They are brought to light enough. We don't need to, uh, you know, dwell on those. There's so many beautiful, beautiful angles to view our community from that if you just open your eyes and you get to know your neighbors a little bit better, I think you'll, you'll, you'll see that. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we really to do here. Um, we, we must fix the problems. That's our duty as religious Jews to make the world a better place and to not stand idly by our neighbor's blood. Um, and we can't say, you know, let's not air our dirty laundry. Let's not talk about it because there's there's people out there that are hurting and we have a, a duty to help them. But at the same time, um, all the positive stories um, and things that exist need to get their fair share of, of news and, and knowledge because um, it's not only a community of problems. There's there's a lot more to it than that. So, Yankee, thank you so much for highlighting one one facet, one piece of, you know, a healthy and successful um, life in the Hasidish world. And we wish you um, continued Hatzlacha um, on all of your uh, endeavors. Thank you so much, Allison. Have a Hatzlacha. You too. All the best. And thank you for listening, and you can catch us uh, after the Chag is over. All the best. Bye-bye.